Hey, and welcome to episode 9 of the MTG Collection Builder podcast. I'm Brian, the lead and only developer of MTGCollectionBuilder.com, and in this podcast we're going to be covering news relevant to Magic Collectors, including new products, bannings, along with the card of the week and the topic of the week, which this week, in my opinion, is the best collection goal you can have, uh, which is building draft cubes. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. If you haven't heard of mtgcollectionbuilder.com, first off, welcome. I don't know how you found my podcast. But second, it's a website where you can track your magic collection and how much it's worth. You basically make an account. It's free to use. And then you register all the cards that you have. It tells you how much your collection is worth. And it keeps those prices up to date once a day. You get progress bars that show you how close you are to completing a particular set. You get a little button that you can click. And it lets you buy the cards that you're missing. Stuff like that. Free to use. Check that out at mtgcollectionbuilder.com. The show and my website are also brought to you by Patreon. It's a service you can use where you can subscribe to content creators that you like, so podcasters, YouTubers, web developers like myself. And there are different tiers you can join at, and depending on the tier that you join, you get access to perks. The most popular perk is um, ads get removed for your account at the $2 tier. If you're interested in supporting the site, feel free to check that out at patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder. We also have quarterly giveaways, which this quarter is Sword of War and Peace. That was a card from the special set Kaladesh Inventions, which was inside of Kaladesh and its subsequent set. And it's beautiful. It The foiling is amazing. The art is amazing. It sees a lot of play in Commander and Modern. It's a really sweet giveaway. I'm super excited for it. And the drawing's at the end of September. In order to enter, you don't need to be a patron or anything like that. Just go to patreon.com slash builder and leave a comment in the post that I made before the drawing, which is again at the end of September. And good luck. I'm super excited for this one. And now let's move on to the news. First item on the news is a Zendikar Rising was released September 25th. It's the 85th Magic expansion, and there are, I know these stats are getting more complicated, so bear with me. There are 280 base cards, which include the Folar Lands. And then beyond those 280 base cards, you have showcase cards, extended art cards, a buy a box promo, a bundle promo, pre release promos, five Dark Frame FM promos, which are part of the promo pack. And then the promo pack can have any mythic or rare in it stamped with the Planeswalker stamp. With me so far? Cool. Additionally, there are two Zendikar Rising Commander decks, which is a new product I've talked about in past episodes. There are only three new cards per deck and the rest are reprints, but they're all physically unique cards because they have the set symbol and set code, so they're still on the website and trackable. These are intended to get new players into Commander, but it does include notable reprints like Lands for Ath and Sneak Attack. There's a new card type that was introduced, which are called Modal Dual Face Cards, also known as MDFC, also known as the worst acronym in Magic. It's terrible. But the card's pretty cool. Uh, the way it works is um, it's kind of like a split card, but the card is double-sided. And one side is usually a land, and then the other side's an actual card. So this leads to some interesting design space, especially in limited games, where you can effectively have more sources of mana in your deck without sacrificing its quality. So it's been pretty cool. There's also a new add card type, and I know I don't support these yet on the website, but I will someday, I promise, and it's the minigames uh, add card type. They're added as set boosters to make players feel less bad about opening packs and not playing with them, right? Because the whole point of set boosters is you just open them for fun. Uh, and they have little minigames described in them in each pack that you open that includes one of these. There's five of them so far, including Booster Blitz, which is basically playing against each other with the contents of the two booster packs, each of you starting at five life. You can read the full rules for these. Um, I'll leave a link in the show notes below. This is also the first set that features a set booster. We've talked about it before, but it's basically a slightly more expensive booster pack that is not meant to be drafted with. It's meant to be opened for fun, and it has a little bit more value. You can see the previous episode where I describe these in detail. Also starting with this set, instead of one out of every rare as being a mythic rare, it's one out of every 7.4. 
They probably have to disclose this because like booster packs are kind of like gambling, so you, you have to know the odds. I'm guessing this is a side effect of a collation change and not like a value add that was intentional, but who knows, right? Last item for Zendikar Rising is that there are expeditions, and this is what they've been hinting at all this time. So you can get fetch lands from these, and there are 30 possible cards, 10 of which are fetch lands. Now, unfortunately, expeditions cannot come from normal or even set booster packs like the way Kaladesh Inventions used to. They will either appear as box toppers, um, and in that case it would be non-foil but high gloss, or you can find them in foil only in collector's boosters. So that's where that's at. I'm glad they reprinted Fetchlands, um, but it is a little bit of a bummer that you can't get them from a normal booster pack. The next item on the news is that buy a box promos are no longer functionally unique. So Wizards announced that, starting with this set, which has a foil extended art aura, Skyclave Hierophant, they're no longer going to make buy a box promos mechanically unique, like Nexus of Fate or Kenrith the Return King. But they'll make it unique in some other way. So in this case, this is the only way you can get an extended art aura is through the buy a box promotion. And this is kind of Wizards relearning the lesson, right? Um, they got burned by this because they accidentally, I think, made some buy a box promos super playable, and then they're highly sought after, and their prices went through the roof. And they, they had an outcry back in 1994 with Nalathni Dragon at Dragon Con, where it was the first time they printed a functionally unique card that was promotional in nature. And there was so much of a backlash that they printed more of those and gave more out in magazines to kind of make up for it. So this is them relearning their lesson again. So I, I guess third time's a charm. They, they promise they won't do this anymore. I wasn't personally affected as a limited player, but I can see anyone that played Constructed having been kind of bummed out by the previous policy. So I'm glad this change has been made. Next on the news is Wizards has revealed the 2021 set lineup. So the sets that are coming up are Kaldheim. This will be a Viking world of some sort. Then Strixhaven, School of Mages. I keep thinking Hogwarts, but I'm sure it'll be a different style of a wizarding school. And then this one has me particularly excited. The set after that is a replacement for a core set, and it's called Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And like it sounds, it's a Dungeons & Dragons-themed magic set, and it's set in the Forgotten Realms universe, uh, which is super cool, because it ties into Planescape, my favorite universe of all time in D&D. And then after that, they're going to have Innistrad split into two sets, uh, one featuring werewolves and the other one featuring vampires. They're also printing the first remastered paper set. Usually these are Magic Online things. And this is Time Spiral Remastered. It's going to be a combination of Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, and Future Sight. It's designed for draft, limited play. And there will also be Time Shifted cards, which are a subset within the Time Spiral set. So one card per pack will have the old pre-modern frame as well. That's pretty cool. Next in the news is a couple new secret layers that have come and gone. Their first one was Happy Yargle Day, which debuted for either 30 bucks non-foil or $40 foil. It came out September 3rd. It was on sale for 24 hours, and it has alternate art featuring Yargle. He's a, a monster with a really big mouth. <laughs> I don't know too much about his lore. Uh, but the, the cards are pretty cool. There's uh, Anger of the Gods, Explore, Fatal Push, Opt, and Swords to Plowchare. So if you're a Yargle fan, hopefully you pick that up. After that, they released Zenikar Revisited, which kind of had a showcase style of five cards that were famous from original Zenikar. These include Admonition Angel, Royal Elemental, Zillipore Cutthroat, Warren Instigator, and Avenger of Zenikar. These came and went September 25th, the day of the product's release, and it's either 30 bucks non-foil or $40 foil. I particularly like the Admonition Angel. The art on that is super cool. And one last little tidbit is that Wizards have shown us a zombie token from what's going to be a the AMC's The Walking Dead-themed secret layer. I kid you not. Uh, Rick Grimes and zombies and everything. Zombie token looks pretty cool. It makes a reference to Bicycle Girl, which I guess you must have 
either read the graphic novel or watched the special featurette online to understand the reference, but if you like The Walking Dead and magic, this product is for you. All we've seen is a zombie token so far. We don't have any other information, but I'll be sure to let you guys know once I hear more. Another item on the news is that Zendikar Rising and Commander Legends have experienced some production delays. Specifically, Zendikar Rising products are arriving to North America in two waves. Uh, the second wave is far behind. And then Commander Legends Collector Boosters will now have to be released November 20th instead of the original release date due to the delay. So there's more COVID-19 nonsense. We're, we're getting used to it at this point. And our last news item is that you can now be the proud owner of a white-bordered Tibalt. Congratulations. Basically, at Wizards, when they announced Secret Lair uh, around April Fool's, they had like an April Fool's Secret Lair that had all this nonsense, including a Squire token. They replaced the Squire token with what turns out to be a white-bordered Tibalt the Fiend-Blooded Planeswalker. So if you want to own the worst Planeswalker ever made in white border, this is your chance. The, these joke Secret Lairs were released to WPN stores on September 11th, and uh, Tibalt alone is going for 80 bucks on TCG Player. So go Tibalt, you made it. And that's it for the news. So let's go ahead and move on to our card of the week, which is Shahrazad. White, white, so two mana total, all of which must be white. And it reads, at least the oracle text, I'm not reading the original text, there's too many words. Players play a magic subgame using their libraries as their decks. Each player who doesn't win the subgame loses half their life rounded up. So the concept of a subgame in magic is pretty unique, and this is the only time that it actually happened in Blackboarder. And it's making a reference to a similar character from 1001 Nights, and that character liked to tell stories within stories. So that's kind of what's going on here, right? You play a game within a game. It was a cool mechanic, but it ultimately caused time issues in tournament play, so that's why it's banned and not legal in like every format I could find except kitchen table magic. Um, this mechanic still appears in silverboard sets, though, including in cards like Enter the Dungeon and The Countdown is at one. And here's some trivia for you. They actually considered making another Black Border uh, minigame card while they were designing War of the Spark. I'm already considered adding a minigame called Skirmish, and that minigame was kind of like a side game that was going on, and that game would be impacted by what happened during combat in the main Magic game. I, this was later removed, I'm not sure why, probably too complicated or distracting. And it was, like, it was just replaced by a mass, so it was just a cleaner, cut-and-dry mechanic. So even though... Shahrazad is totally not a legal card anywhere. It's still worth $300 today. So this just goes to show that a card doesn't have to be playable to retain its value. Collectability does matter. And that was the card of the week, Shahrazad. Let's move on to our main topic, which are draft cubes. Now let's, let's set the stage for this one. So I was a young collector of magic, right? I mostly played draft. I loved completing set folders and organizing them on the shelf while still figuring out my organization system. But I really struggled what to do with my collection. Other than draft, I, I knew I could like collect the cards and play constructed someday, quote unquote, and that having a vast library of cards would help me do that, especially for older formats. But I wasn't really sure if I was wasting my collection or if it was getting put to good use. Around the same time, I played my first legitimate cube draft and while it was a lot of fun. I really felt overwhelmed by just a sheer variety of cards that I was having to play with and read and make snap decisions on in a very short amount of time. And I, while I was playing the cube, I was having fun. I really pined for an experience more like traditional draft. Um, that's, that's just how I felt about it. And then also at the same time, listening to podcasts like Limited Resources, I kept hearing about how fun some older draft formats were, including Innistrad, which I had just narrowly missed when I started playing the game. But I couldn't justify paying like what today is $450 for a sealed booster box of Innistrad just to draft it, especially when you could just buy every card in the set for about $200. I, I can't justify that. And then I kind of had this aha moment. I, I realized... What if I built a cube 
But instead of it being like a traditional cube or it's a singleton format of like Magic's most powerful cards, if it instead would replicate an old draft format and let you play it over and over again for free. So that's kind of how the idea of a draft cube was born, and it's definitely my favorite collection goal. So let me tell you why draft cubes are awesome. They're great because they can instantly build your collection of a particular set. Like if you just buy a draft cube for a set, congratulations, you now have every card in the set. You've completed that set as part of your collection. They also solve the problem of your collection feeling wasted because you can just use the draft cube to draft with over and over and over, and it's like a great collection goal for you to have. They also let you experience Magic's drafting history with a group of friends. You can relive the stories that you've heard about Innistrad and make new ones, and honestly, you haven't lived until you faced a spider spawning deck in Innistrad at least once. Like It's super cool. Draft cubes are also really cost-effective. It's much cheaper than hunting down a sealed booster box for a draft experience or like opening packs hoping to open a specific card. You just, just buy them all alright as part of a draft cube. It's it's cheaper in the long run. And they're fun. They're a lot of fun to play with. Um, I've played draft cubes with quite a few large groups as we've iterated on the concept to kind of balance it out. You end up getting a really good representation of every major archetype in a draft format since the card pool is pretty predictable and it just leads to a great experience. In terms of the average cost for a draft cube, it depends on the set. It can be anywhere from $60 to $180 which is often about the price of a booster box or an older format, so it's, it's, it's really good value. Older sets can be more expensive, but you're, you can always proxy some cards, right? Like, if you really wanted to draft, like Urza, Urza Saga or something, you don't have to have literally a copy of every card in that set. You can just proxy the expensive ones and still have a good time. So let's talk about how to build a draft cube and how they're really used. So to build a draft cube, which again, the, the point is to kind of build a cube that replicates a draft format um, as accurately as possible. So first you pick the format. So let's say we're going to do triple Innistrad, right? We're going to build a draft cube for Innistrad. And then for each set in the format, in this case it's one set, but some of the older formats you had multiple sets, so you'd have to do this for each set, right? But for Innistrad, you would buy four of every common, and then kind of your choice here, either two of every uncommon or four of every uncommon. I lean toward four of every uncommon, it gives you a little more flexibility with player counts for the draft cubes and a little bit more variance in a good way. And then you buy one of every rare and mythic. And then once you do that, you have your draft cube. So if you've already collected some of the cards, you're already on your way toward a draft cube. And if you use mtgcollectionable.com, you can just click a button and it'll actually add a draft cube to cart for you. Uh, just make sure to add it to the side as appropriate if the set that the cards are from matter to you. And that's it. Once you do that, you have, a, you have a draft cube. You also want to buy a storage box and separate each card by rarity and sleeve them up and then shuffle within each rarity. So once you have four of every common, two or four of every uncommon, and then one of every rare mythic, Sleeve them up, put them in a storage box, and separate all the commons together shuffled, all the uncommons together shuffled, all the rares together shuffled, and then all of the mythics together shuffled. And then you're ready to play your draft cube. So to get started, you have to basically reconstruct booster packs out of those random cards that you sleeved up. So a booster pack for newer sets is composed of 10 commons, 3 uncommons, and 1 rare or mythic. So to build these booster packs, you would shuffle the commons up, and then draw 10 commons, put them in a pile. Then you shuffle the uncommons up, take three uncommons, put them in the pile. And then you take one rare or mythic at random and then put it on top of the pile. So to determine this, every 7.4 rare should be a mythic. So you can just roll a 1d8, and then if you roll an 8, make it a mythic. Or you can just go ahead and like every three packs make it a mythic rare instead of a regular rare, and that should be just fine. And then that's it, you've constructed a random booster pack. So you just do this as many times as you need to do 
for the event that you're hosting. So if you're doing an eight-player draft, you each need three booster packs, which makes 24 booster packs total. If you're just doing sealed against a friend, you can totally do a draft cube as sealed. Uh, then you just need six booster packs per player, and you're good to go. And I wouldn't sweat the small stuff. Like some of the older sets, right? Like Innistrad, you're guaranteed a double-sided card in every pack. And it was kind of public information while you're drafting, right? So you don't want to unsleeve the cards while you're playing just to do that. And it all washes out of the variance anyway. I wouldn't sweat it. I don't think it's worth the effort. But if you really want to replicate a format exactly, you could always have a separate pile of double-faced cards and then ensure you include one at the appropriate rarity. Um, but I wouldn't sweat it. It's still just as fun, even if it's not a 100% match to the other formats rules. You also have some dials you can turn in terms of variance. Uh, remember how I said you can buy either two of each uncommon or four of each uncommon? And that's because sometimes when you play a draft cube, you might end up with a, a draft where four copies of an uncommon was opened at a table of eight players. And that can be a little on the extreme side. That's, that's a rarity when it happens. You'll forever cherish a moment when that happens. But if you want to reduce the odds of that happening, just include two of each uncommon instead of four in your draft cube. And then you'll guarantee that at most people are going to see two of a particular uncommon. But if you like higher variance, or if you just need to support a higher number of players, then you can always up the count, right? You can go six of each common and four of each uncommon. You can kind of tweak these, especially if you're going to build a small number of draft cubes. You can really go all out and really perfect a particular draft cube. That can be pretty cool. So let's talk about older formats. Like um, in terms of a tier list, what, which formats would I draft and build a draft cube out of if I could? Well, I kind of did my own research and based on what LSV, Mike Sigris, and some other players and players that I respect have said, and my own experiences, I would recommend them in this order. I would do Innistrad. That, that format is a super classic. The art is amazing, super dark theme, and it's, the gameplay is super fun. It's, it's pretty well balanced. Then I would do Triple Cons of Tarkir. That's personally one of my favorite formats. I thought that the three colored clans worked out really well. They're a lot of fun. And then I do Modern Masters 2015. Um, this could be biased because uh, this was the first Grand Prix I went to in Vegas, and I had a crazy fun time opening like three Tarmogoyce, including a foil. It was nuts. But the gameplay was also super fun. Like you had so many different decks or like you had artifacts with affinity and you had the domain deck. It was just really cool. Rise of Eldrazi, I've heard good things. I hear that it's a really fun, well-executed format where you can actually ramp up to big explosive things and it's well-executed. And then Ravnica City of Guilds, the OG Ravnica I hear is a great format as well. So if I were you, I'd build draft cubes for all of these. But don't be shy about proxy and Tarmogoyf. I'm sure he's still expensive. And how do draft cubes compare to regular cubes? Um, they're definitely closer to a real draft. And they're generally easier to play because you're all on more even footing in terms of the knowledge of the meta. There's less complexity. The synergies are a lot cleaner. And it's just lower complexity in general, I think in a good way. It leads to really smooth gameplay experiences, especially for new players mixed with experienced players. And here's another idea I had too, which I like to call draft constructed. So here's a scenario. So you don't have enough people to draft and you're like staring at your draft cube, right? And you know you can play sealed cubes. So if you and your partner want to play sealed, you just make six booster packs, build sealed decks, and you're good to go. But what if you get kind of tired of that, right? Um, another way you can use a draft cube is to do draft constructed, which is a way of experiencing every draft archetype in the format without actually having to draft it. Because there's some variance there, right? Like you may draft a format 50 times, and one time you get the really good black-white cleric deck, and then you never see it again because it's just hard to get the uncommons that you want. Well, draft constructed, here's how, the, how it works. Each player just picks a known draft archetype. So for Modern Masters 2015, for example, I might pick blue-green pro proliferate, and my wife might pick black-red bloodthirst. 
And then you just get to build a version of that draft deck as if it were a constructed deck out of your draft cube without having to draft it. Um, it simulates as if you had been in the perfect seat during a draft and the colors were open for you and the cards were open in the card pool. But there are some restrictions to keep it sane. You're limited to one mythic rare, two rares, no more than two copies of the same uncommon, and no more than three copies of the same common. And you can build a 15 card sideboard. That, that kind of simulates how many cards you might have in the best case scenario that would be useful to sideboard. And that's it. And if two players want the same card, you roll a die, and whoever wins the die roll, they get to pick the card. But the loser gets to win the next time they would have to roll a die to kind of balance it out. Uh, just in case you're in draft archetypes that overlap in the desired commons or uncommons or mythics, right? Everyone's going to be fighting over Ugin if they have a slow deck. And then you play. I recommend best of three. You can do tournament brackets if you have multiple participants, although I tended to draft constructed just with two to four players. I wouldn't do more than that because I might put too much strain on the draft cube's card pool availability. And that's just another way you can use a draft cube. I think it's pretty cool. Now, another thing you can do with draft cubes, especially when you go to older sets, is uh, remastering formats, uh, similar to the way Wizards does. So prior to Mirage, sets weren't actually designed with drafting in mind the way they are today. And some sets were also just not good draft formats, including Dark Ascension and the color green in Battle for Zendikar. Like the, they were awful. So what if you like the flavor of older sets like Ice Age or Homelands? So what I would do is I would kind of take the draft cube concept and bring it to the next level, where I would actually remaster that older format. So following the same principles of building a draft cube, I would build a remastered draft cube for a specific format, where you kind of put on your game designer hat and you like analyze all the possible archetypes that exist in the format. And if there aren't clean boundaries, you can kind of make your own, right? You can just, what I would do is I'd go through all 10 color pairs and decide what is the archetype for this color pair, and then write those down. And then I'd identify what's missing. Maybe white-red doesn't have a clear identity in a particular format, or, or white-green. And then I would bring in flavorful cards to kind of shore up the weaknesses of the format. Um, you can read about other players' experiences drafting these back in the day and see what the issues were, and then shore them up. Maybe there was too much removal or not enough, or the creatures weren't impactful enough, or the game led to board stalls. So you can put in mana sinks, and you can put in board stall busters, things like that. And then you can have some fun and play test them with your friends. You can play test your remastered format, talk about the changes, see what worked, what didn't. And you get to be a game designer for a day. I think that's a really good way of kind of elevating the draft cube concept to the next level. And I would, I would kind of start by analyzing a successful draft format and then looking at ratios of cards, right? So for a triple cons that I love so much, like what are the enablers? What are the payoffs? What's the removal? How many of each instance of that kind of card exists in the format? And kind of balance the numbers around that and then play around with the frequencies. And that's just about going to do it for this topic. So some final thoughts on draft cubes. I think that collections are great for display and to browse and to appreciate the history of magic cards. But I, I really do feel that the best collections are used. And draft cubes are a great way to use your collection. And, and a product idea that I would really like for wizards to do is to bring back gold-bordered cards. Uh, these are cards that are not tournament legal. You would see these in the collector's edition sets. But imagine the wizard just printed an official Innistrad draft cube that was gold bordered, so you wouldn't be able to use it in, in tournament play or anything like that, but you it would be like an official set for draft that you can just draft over and over without having to buy a box of a product that's no longer in print. It'd be a great source of proxies as well for people that need them, and it, I think it's a decent idea, but of course if we could also dispense it with the gold border so we could use these cards in tournament legal play, that would be even better, but I think gold border would let them make the cards super cheap if they wanted. And that's going to do it for the podcast. I wanted to thank you guys again for joining me for this episode. 
If you have any suggestions for the podcast or the website, feel free to reach out to me via email where I'm brian at mtgcp.com, Facebook where I'm mtg collection builder, or Twitter where I'm mtg underscore cb. Although I have yet to make a single post on that account, I, I really should use Twitter more. But I will see your message if you message me. Also hit me up over on Discord if you're one of my patrons. And if you want to support the site or the podcast, feel free to go to patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder and check out all the pledge levels. You can get ads removed for your account, a postcard sent to you in the mail, all sorts of cool stuff. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time. And welcome to yet another secret segment of the show. And this topic's super important to me, especially today, so I'm running on fumes. It's coffee, so we're going to talk about coffee. So here's why. I switched my cats over to wet cat food a, a couple months ago, and a side effect of this is that they get hungry more often. They have like smaller meals that are more nutritious, and they get a lot more water in their diet, which is awesome. But they'll wake me up like right when the sun comes up, like 5.30, 6.30. It, it, it can be pretty crippling. Most, most of the time I can go back to sleep, but sometimes I can't, so I just kind of have to get through the day at that point, which is awesome. I get to do some a couple hours of work on MTGCB before my real job. Um, but if I did that without any caffeine, I would start crashing shortly after lunch. I would just like almost need a power nap, which we can do now that we work from home, so that's cool. But anyway, I started researching coffee, uh, the coffee subreddit on Reddit, and and try to see like what's the optimal way of drinking coffee, right? Uh, I've heard some other podcasters talk about this, and a little bit of research, I'm not a scientist, but from what I understand, your cortisol levels affect how alert you are during the day, and they have predictable patterns of when they elevate and fall. And based on this and several sources online, what's been working for me is one cup of coffee at 10 a.m. and one cup of coffee at 2 p.m. means I am literally not tired all day, even if I'm running on five hours of sleep, which to me is amazing. Like, it was life-changing when I did this. So I, I took a deep dive, and I got a French press, a coffee grinder, an electric kettle, and I started ordering freshly roasted coffee beans from local suppliers in Los Angeles. And man, I, I, like if you haven't had like freshly ground and brewed coffee, like it's way better than the junk you get at Starbucks. Like I was intimidated at first, like using my French press, but it just takes about 15 minutes to prepare in the morning. It's a nice little break after your morning meetings. And the flavor is really good. It's very smooth and fresh. Uh, I, I usually make mine as mochas as well. And I definitely want to caution you. It's not a replacement for sleep. Get sleep if you can. And catch up when you can but if you if you can't uh like coffee like actually works like it's it's amazing maybe i'll, I'll develop a resistance to it over time but one cup at 10 a.m and one cup at 2 p.m has been really boosting my productivity it's been awesome uh, i've yet to feel tired during a work day using this method